This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. One-timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! And everything from the state of hockey. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. back to the den huskies warming house podcast fans it is episode number 59 here in the first weekend of may may 2nd of 2021 we've got a lot of fun things coming up here in this show a pretty lengthy huskies illustrated weekly roundup we had some fortunately some people pass away in the hockey world we've got some changes to the women's world cup of hockey uh some nhl signings as well as some players that may or may not be returning to their respective clubs and the injury train finally slows down over there and the other piece that we're going to touch on as we approach playoff time, some teams have qualified for the playoffs in the East as well. We're going to talk about the Minnesota Wild and their skid slash not skid, as well as what to do with Victor Rask and his situation. We'll touch on some women's hockey returners that we might be knowing about, and then we'll finish the show with our extra ice session in a special topic involving the Vancouver Canucks. You won't want to miss it here as we jump into the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Now starting things off in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, we are going to start on the international stage, and this has to do with the Women's World Cup of Hockey back in the spotlight, but this time in a little bit more of a positive light. The IIHF has tentatively agreed to hold this year's tournament in August of this year. A date has yet specifically been announced and when that would take place. It was originally supposed to be held uh, actually this upcoming week, 6th to 16th in Nova Scotia, but it was canceled because of the government and COVID-19 restrictions up in Canada. In other news, the American Hockey League did also cancel their 2021 playoffs, citing COVID-19 protocols, this occurring just this past Thursday. Each of the league's five divisions provided the chance to independently conduct its own playoff format, but only the Pacific Division will do so. The division consists of seven minor league affiliates, six of which coming from what is normally the bulk of the Western Division in the National Hockey League. The teams are linked to Vegas, Anaheim, San Jose, Los Angeles, Arizona, and Edmonton, as well as the affiliate of the Colorado Avalanche in the NHL Central Division. And lastly, Noah, the NHL also finalized the final payment from the Seattle Kraken, now who officially joins the league as the 32nd team after they paid their last expansion fee. NHL expansion draft to fill the roster is set to take place this uh, upcoming July. Teams are required to submit their protected list um, by July 17th, 
said it will begin its inaugural campaign here upcoming in the fall. The league also intends to hold the NHL All-Star Game next season as well, as that has been announced. The NHL Draft Lottery is also reportedly set now for June 2nd, also upcoming this summer. However, Nick, in the biggest story coming from the NHL in the past week, Vancouver Canucks forward Jake Vertanen was placed on leave by the club after allegations of sexual misconduct were brought up against the 24-year-old forward. In a statement, the organization said, quote, we have become aware of the concerning allegations made about Jake Vertanen. Our organization does not accept sexual misconduct of any kind, and the claims as reported are being treated very seriously by us. We have engaged external expertise to assist in an independent investigation, and we have placed Jake on leave as we await more information, end quote. It is important to clarify that while Vertanen has been granted leave by the club, he has not formally been charged with criminal punishment as of yet. He was the sixth overall pick of Vancouver in 2014 and is in his sixth year with the club. He signed a two-year pact with the Canucks last October. Now, more teams in the National Hockey League joined Vegas, Colorado, and the Minnesota Wild uh, to clinch spots in the upcoming 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs. In the East, Minnesota fans will not be very happy to know that Pittsburgh has clinched a playoff for the 15th straight year. And this does affect their first-run selection. The Wild did get in a trade for Jason Zucker, as well as receiving Kale and Addison. The Washington Capitals and the New York Islanders also punch their ticket to the postseason. Boston will likely follow in that fourth and final spot as the regular season does wind down here the next week. In the Central Carolina, Tampa Bay, and Florida have all punched their tickets to playoff first as well with Dallas, Nashville, and Chicago in a dogfight for the final spot in the Central Division. St. Louis has inched a little bit closer to the filling and punching their ticket to the fourth and final spot in the Honda West Division as they gain ground over the Arizona Coyotes. Toronto is the only team in the North Division to clinch a playoff spot so far. However, Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Montreal have all started to gain separation from Calgary, who was in fifth place and as slumping as of late, but the three clubs have yet to actually secure their playoff spots as of yet. The NHL was very busy this past week, as we can tell, Nick. They also filled the remainder of the league's national media rights in their partnership in the U.S. over the next seven seasons. Turner Sports joined as the other group to hold portions of the deal that is worth $225 million per season. Their rights include airing the Winter Classic in all seven of these seasons, the Stanley Cup Final in 2023, 25, and 2027, half of the playoffs, and 72 regular season games all of which will be on TNT and TBS. The last time Turner Sports supposedly covered NHL hockey was during the Atlanta Flames stint in 1980 before moving to Calgary. Now, in a mix of news around the hockey world, former Toronto Maple Leaf Miroslav Freiser and Calgary Frames founding owner Byron B.J. Smith both passed away this week. Uh, Freiser, who defected from Czechoslovakia and spent most of his eight seasons in the NHL with the Toronto Maple Leafs, did pass away, unfortunately, due to illness at the age of 61. His most productive offensive season came in 1985-86, when he secured 32 goals, 43 assists in 73 games with the Maple Leafs, remaining among the team's top career 50-point scorers. Fraser had 147 goals and 183 assists in 330 NHL games. But back to Calgary, Stephen was one of the founding owners of the hockey club. He and his co-brother co-owned the club for about 30 years, helping the team move from Atlanta to Calgary in 1980, as he was also recently inducted into the Alberta Sports Hall of Fame and a recipient of a Governor General's Medal. He was 97 years old. 
In our second to last topic, one player is hanging up the skates at a young age. Another enters his 33rd pro hockey season around age 50, and one NHLer got a payday. Starting in the NHL, Chicago signed defenseman Riley Stillman to a three-year deal as he was part of that trade with Florida near the trade deadline in April. The Hawks will unfortunately be without two-time Stanley Cup champion Andrew Shaw, who announced his retirement after 10 seasons this, this past week at just age 29. Shaw was limited to just 14 games this year and will be placed on long-term injured reserve until his contract expires after next season. The gritty winger stated, quote, After several concussions, the doctors strongly recommend that I stop playing the game I love, and for the first time in my life, I'm going to listen. Shaw tallied 116 goals and 247 points in 544 career games for Chicago and Montreal. Two days after winning the KHL's Gagarin Cup, veteran forward Ilya Kovalchuk and his club agreed to terminate his contract, which has one year left. But the 38-year-old still will have a ton of work in the age category left to catch Yarmer Yager, who intends to return for his 33rd pro season with the Kladno Knights. Yager had 12 points in 19 regular season games this season and added 10 in 16 playoff contests as Kladno won their championship and earned a promotion to the Czech Republic's top league. The 49-year-old owns the club, and he ranks second in NHL history in points, third in goals, and fourth in games played. He's also won two Stanley Cups, an MVP, five scoring titles, and an Olympic gold medal. Pretty impressive stuff, Nick. Pretty insane that Yarmer Yager uh, seems to <laughs> will pretty much blame Trail of Glory before all of us, you know, it, you know, even make it to the ice again at that age. Just it's insane. But to finish off the weekly roundup here, Noah, just a few injuries this week. Uh, but Philadelphia did indeed shut down that minor Carter Hart for the rest of the season due to an MCL sprain. I do remember Chuck Fletcher saying that he could have probably played if play, uh, Philadelphia was playoff home. They decided because Philadelphia is most indeed out of the playoff race. They did shut him down just precautionary. Chicago will miss blue liner Anna Bullquist for the rest of the year with a broken wrist. And Winnipeg has lost speedy winger Nikolai Ehlers for the regular season with an upper body. But they hope to have him back, hopefully, for the playoffs. But finally, Minnesota also received some good news about their ninth overall pick in last year's draft. But we're talking about number nine overall Marco Rossi, who had told Michael Russo of The Athletic that, quote, doctors told me that if I played one more game in the World Junior Championship, and this was back in 2019, things could have ended completely different. Rossi failed the cardiac screening as part of his pre-camp physical. It was diagnosed with myocarditis, which essentially means inflammation of the heart. Rossi's symptoms started getting worse, and he was eventually sent back home to his native Austria to rest, feeling scared every time he was go that he was going to sleep that he wouldn't wake up again. Rossi will have another series of tests here coming midway as he continues to recover, and if all goes well, he will be allowed to slowly begin his physical training in preparation for next season. Until now, he had only been allowed to go for a short walk and do some non-strenuous mobility training. The nimble centerman hopes to join the Minnesota Wild next year after tallying 120 points in 56 games with the OHL's Ottawa 67s in 2019-20. And I believe, Noah, for just to kind of round off that topic, he was the first Austrian to lead the OHL in scoring in a CHL year. So pretty impressive stuff for Marco Rossi. And hope, again, that he is able to fully recover and make it to the Wild training camp here coming this fall. And welcome back into episode number 59 here. Like I mentioned, I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host and Nick Max. And actually, I don't know if I ever actually mentioned that like I normally do in the beginning of the show. But nonetheless, we're here. We're hanging out on a Sunday morning, a pretty bright and sunny morning, as you can see behind Nick's 
Uh, that would be your right shoulder if I can do some quick math there. Uh, Nick, how are things in the, in the Twin Cities? And uh, is it as sunny and warm out there as it looks behind you? Uh, negative, actually. So the camera that is actually attached to uh, my computer is actually probably giving you a little bit of a whole street. It's actually cloudy. We're supposed to be getting we're supposed to be getting some thunderstorms this afternoon, but yesterday it was 85 degrees uh, here in the Twin Cities after a kind of a cooler 60 degrees um, on Thursday. So a pretty quick transition, uh, or you know, from the, uh, the some spring weather here in the Twin Cities area. But that's to be expected. It's always up and down. Uh, but yesterday again, 85 degrees, and I was able actually had a chance to go. Uh, luckily, to the Wild game in person against the St. Louis Blues, hoping to snap. Um, their two-game losing streak against the St. Louis Blues. They were able to do it in some pretty thrilling overtime fashion. It was quite the game to watch, uh, but it was actually good to get back in the rink and see an NHL game in person to uh, understand, you know, I guess re-get, re-acclimate just how fast the game is and just how um, each team plays at such a high level. It was really nice to see. Um, and as we'll have a couple of comments that we'll have in the Minnesota Wild here later on in the show, but uh, it's been a pretty good weekend so far. Noah, how are things up in good old North Dakota? I've been to, I guess it was a couple of years ago now. I went to three Minnesota Wild games within like the same year. I think it was the year that they missed the playoffs after like making the playoffs for a bunch of years. Anyway, it was the San Jose Sharks, the Dallas Stars, and then the San Jose Sharks again. Uh, and in those three combined games, the Wild scored one goal. So I spent about $500 to watch them score one goal. And it was Jason Zucker tying the game up against Dallas. And then they lost it with like four seconds left in overtime. So um, I'm glad that your outing went a little better than mine have because I seem like to be a bad luck charm when I'm in the building for the Minnesota Wild. But uh, no, my week was all right. We're we're grinding down into uh, finals week after next week. So we got one more regular week of class where it's kind of finishing tests and posters. I never understood that. Maybe this is a, a thing to start about for those of you that maybe aren't in college anymore because I'm going on like year number six of this. Um, why do teachers give like a unit exam, right? Like unit five, unit six, whatever. And then the next week they have a final exam. Like, what is the point of that? Like, is that, should I just be like, like, why not just take your unit exam and incorporate it in and then like kind of do like a half and half with your final, you know what I mean? Also, I don't really understand finals in general. That's just me. And I think it depends on the class, but it's like, we've had eight tests in the class and the other class we've had 13. It's like, do we really need a final? Like what, what do I need to show you that I can answer questions on a computer? Um, Anyway, as you can tell, I'm a little chap by having to do finals, but it's not going to be that bad. I've only got two of them. So, um, yeah, my week is good. I found out that I might be working at the front desk of a hotel, of all things, this summer for my summer job just to make some cash. So imagine how awful that's going to be for travelers when they see my <laughs> my face after a long day on the road. That just sounds horrible. Um, makes me think of the time that you and I went up in, to Duluth together and we did uh, we did the games up in Duluth. Do you remember that? And Somehow I was supposed to pay you for the hotel and I didn't pay you for the hotel at all. And you like foot footed the entire bill. <laughs> Sounds about right. No, uh, it was a, uh, it's actually a nice, a nice spot too. It's a yeah. newer hotel across the bridge. Uh, I believe it's a Fairfield if I remember correctly. Um, but a uh, nice little spot actually. Um, and because it's, it's still pretty close to Canal Park. It's, I'd say probably what, a half a mile from the bridge on the kind of the uh, superior side of it. Um, the lift bridge, but very, very nice spot. Um, but more so, I, I, I hope that this upcoming year, you know, more than anything, that we have the opportunity actually to cover some more games in person. It seems like there's a trend, and just actually said, let's just say that the trend is there's more confidence growing that that actually will take place. So that's good to hear. But I think what's also, speaking of returning, 
Um, I think this is a good segue now to go into our first uh, topic, and that is uh, a couple of women's hockey players have announced their return uh, to uh, so as they accept their extra year of eligibility. Um, Noah, I'll, I'll let you kind of introduce the topic, and then we'll get some comments here. Oh, I thought you did a pretty good job of that. That was pretty nice. I think the biggest piece that um, you were the one who actually filled me in on this information, you've got a, a, a captain coming back for her super senior year, and then you've got a, a pretty good goaltender that's going to enter the mix once again. I think that the Huskies, I, I think it's really important for this particular goaltender to come back to aid in Sonia Hola moving into her sophomore season, continuing to help her grow and develop. I think that uh, the one-two punch of the goaltending side for the St. Cloud State women's hockey team uh, is most happy to have this goaltender back. So, I would agree. Uh, so again, it would be senior uh, defenseman Kenzie Wiley and also Emma Paluzny that have announced their returns, which means Laura Kluga and uh, I'm missing one of Hannah Bates. Hannah Bates, yes, that will not be exercising their extra year of eligibility. We do um, obviously appreciate uh, their contributions to the team. Uh, they were fun to watch. Uh, I know that, especially in today's economy, and, and obviously everybody's situation is different. That. We understand that, you know, hanging up the skates is no easy decision, at least from our standpoint, um, but it was the best decision for their future. So we wish them the best of luck in all future endeavors. But for the women's hockey team, as you mentioned, I do think it's really important that Emma Pusney is back. Um, it gives them, again, a, just a senior, very good veteran presence in net. I think, again, as we had mentioned the last couple of years, Noah, especially this season, and it's too bad that the consistency of the schedule for the women's just wasn't there. Um, you can see some of the wheels starting to finally click with this women's team. And yeah, the, the, the record was better. Was the play better? Yes, it was. You just, you just kind of wish that they had a full season. I do think there would have been more steps that they would have climbed. It is unfortunate they weren't able to have more time to do that. But with some of these returners, again, with veteran uh, players coming back, it is going to help, especially now with, uh, the, the underclassmen, um, you know, if we talk about uh, Olivia Safar and they're going to be upperclassmen at this point. How about that? Huh? Uh, kind of interesting, but at the end of it, they're going to be carrying the, the mail for this club and you know, how nice. And we, we talked about an influence and what a goaltender can have as, as far as the, the players in front of them. Um, I think having Pelusny back is certainly going to affect the confidence of this team playing in front of them. Yeah, the one I was maybe a little surprised about and not overly surprised, I thought, you know, I actually thought all four of them could have came back. I thought Hannah Bates would have been a nice addition. One of the things that Hannah brings to the table or brought to the table, again, as, as she moves on, depending on whether or not she continues to play hockey or moves on to other things, she's a really great shot blocker, you know, uh, on that defensive side. I always thought that she did a really nice job of keeping the play in front of her and containing pucks and bodies to the outside. I thought that was one of her big strengths and fortes. Not afraid to get into a shot lane, which is always nice to see. Uh, when you're always in the shot lane as a defenseman on the defensive side, uh, Laura Kluga, um, I don't know. I, I could have seen her coming back, but I also wonder if maybe her thought process is that I want to play professional hockey somewhere. She certainly has the ability to, she's been on the national stage and international stage uh, as far as uh, Germany is concerned. So I wouldn't be shocked if she, you know, maybe moves on to uh, bigger and better things as far as professional hockey for her career. I think Emma Paluzzi is another player that when her career in the college ranks is done. She has an opportunity as well. And I like Kenzie Wiley's leadership abilities. That's the biggest thing too. We've had uh, but Hannah Bates on as well, but um, Kenzie and Emma both on. And I think that one of the things that you're seeing is Emma's maturity, uh, you know, as a person really kind of come to the forefront. And I think that just kind of is exuded in her work ethic and what she brings to the table in this team every day. And Kenzie Wiley is just a player that 
um, for a captain, right? I think we think of a lot of captains that are a little more serious, if you will, and she's a little more laid back and kind of relaxed. So I like that about a captain that maybe can kind of balance that line of being there for players and kind of being a friend to them, but also understanding that, you know, when it's time to lead, it's time to lead and you lead by example. And again, another really strong defensive player that takes care of business in her own half of center ice and uh, excited to have them both back, Nick. Uh, moving on to, did you have anything else to add? Did you want to add anything on that? Well, I, you know, and again, you know, when you have leadership too, it, it also affects, you know, the new players coming in, right? It's, mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, when you talk about how a locker room gels, right? You know, first thing that you do as a player is you come and you meet, you know, your teammates. And, you know, when you have players that come back and, you know, it could be for what, you know, a different multitude of reasons, but it shows commitment to a, a team. It shows commitment to a culture. And that always leaves a really good, nice first impression, I think, on especially some of the new girls that are coming in. And then, too, obviously, the girls that she already plays with, you know, how, how about the excitement knowing that, you know, a couple of your um, skilled players are coming back, you know, so I think it's going to be rejuvenating for the club and uh, excited to see, hopefully, that the team can continue to make steps forward in progress. I think they will. Again, since we talked to Steve McDonald there a couple months ago, I know that he as a head coach also is, is learning some things that he has to do maybe differently uh, going through. So it'll be nice to see this team as a whole take steps forward and obviously having returning players of their caliber will help that. Yeah, and this is a group that I think if they play to their ability, again, um, you know, they have a chance to for sure maybe push push that fifth spot in the WCHA, maybe even fourth if they have a really good year. Uh, the the one thing that I think you have to think about, and we talked about so much with this group, is consistency. And what we mean by that is not just you know showing up for the full sixty minutes on each night, you know, for two nights every weekend. Um, I, I think for them, it's you know, understanding, and I think the men's team had a similar problem sometimes when they would go into certain buildings or certain games until the tail end of the year, when I hear they had a pretty good run at the end. Um, but it, it's, uh, it's kind of all about playing to the level of your opponent. It's understanding that even if you're playing a team that maybe it isn't as good on paper, let's say Bemidji this year, for example, you play them as if you're playing the Wisconsin Badgers or you're playing, you know, Northeastern, the number one team in the country this year, that's how you have to play every single night. Um, and it's more of a mental game than it is a physical game. I think if this group can find a way to have that consistency piece, I think they're a good defensive team. I mean, they defend a little bit too much. We've talked about that, you know, trying to, turn that transitional game and those breakouts into a little more speed-based attack on the rush and kind of put teams on their heels instead of, you know, maybe kind of having the ebb and flow that goes back and forth in a hockey game. But I think offensively, we've found some uh, players that are able to produce. You got to remember, you mentioned a player that's probably going to have a pretty good breakout year this next year. That's Olivia Savar only had one goal right this year. And there's a player that is usually on the score sheet in the goal column quite a bit. I imagine she'll return to form and she'll be just fine. So, you know, you look at players like that, that are, um, you know, I don't want to say they didn't have the year that they wanted, but they didn't need to rely on like Olivia Savar, Clara Himlerova, some of the Laura Kluga, some of these players, uh, you know, to carry the mail. It was a goal and scoring by committee. Of course, Yanina Newland had another great year um, in her junior year as well. But um, that's what that's what I'm trying to get at here is that you just have a team that's able to produce as a group offensively instead of, I think in years past, you would rely on maybe a top line or one or two players, or maybe a puck moving defenseman to kind of get the job done. Or maybe you're waiting for Emma Pelusing to bail you out with a couple of saves. I think this group is really starting to turn things around on the offensive side, which, you know what, if you're a team that kind of remind me of the Minnesota wild a couple of years ago, if you're a team that has to defend, defend and be staunch on the defensive side of the puck, for portions of the game, you have to be opportunistic on the offensive side. And that means that when you get your rushes, your transitions, your opportunities, can you execute and put the puck in the back of the net? So I think there's a lot of good things to look forward 
to with this group. I haven't really gotten a chance to check out the freshman class as of yet, but another player that um, is also um, going to be growing from her freshman year into her sophomore year that I'm excited to see where she takes things is Emma Gentry. Boy, did she have a great freshman year. We kind of expected it a little bit just because of the point production on paper coming in, of course, from her 19 new teams. But I don't know, this group has really started to turn into a program that is on the up and up and I couldn't be more excited for that. So um, Nick, I see you pulling up some stats and some things going on. Are you prepping for our Minnesota wild topic or do you have more to add for us? I am absolutely prepping for the Minnesota wild topic. It just reminded <laughs> me of uh, who was on the, on the rice uh, yesterday for both squads. Yeah. So, I, um, I had to, I had to pull the lineup charts up. Well, I'll give you some time. I will read off the trivia question as season two of two line fan trivia did start yesterday on May 1st. Uh, and our first question of course had our first winner as well. Course trivia every Saturday at noon central time. That's 12 PM for you numerical folks. Uh, if you're a first time winner, you get a chance to win a Huskies warming house hat, similar to what I'm wearing here. I believe you're wearing yours backwards as well. Cause you, you hate me. I don't know. Um, and then, uh, and then I, uh, you will go on the leaderboard every time that you win. And the goal is to try to win season two of trivia. We don't, we haven't figured out a prize or what to do with that for whoever wins season two of trivia, but Hey, winning's fun. So, uh, you get added to the leaderboard and it's, a we have 24 weeks left, if I'm not mistaken, after this past week. So season two started off with this question in 1997, 98, former St. Cloud state men's hockey alumni, Matt Cullen nabbed 27 points in his rookie season during 61 regular season games. Two decades later, he was a three-time Stanley cup champion. His first NHL point slash assist was against Detroit who did he score his first NHL goal against? Nick, any idea? Idea? Yes. Is before the Panthers. Did you actually know that or did you know it because you saw it on Twitter yesterday? You will only never know, will you? <laughs> you definitely saw it on Twitter yesterday. Okay. All right. So Matt Cullen, as you said, scored his first NHL goal on January 21st, 1998 against the Florida Panthers. The Minnesota native went on to tally 220, 266 total tucks in 1,516 total NHL games spanning over two decades of work. Um, I kind of picked that question. The reason I ask you that, um, I found that information at the NHL game logs. If you go to NHL.com and you look at any player, you can look at their career stats, but then there's game logs that you can take a look at, you know, how they did per season. Um, I didn't know if the NHL would, would show the game logs from back in the nineties as well. I was kind of more curious and stuff. And I, I thought it was a simple question. Some of the questions we have and they're designed that way are things that you could maybe type into the Google search and you could say, you know, when did Matt Cullen score his first goal? But that question, I thought it was because he's, you're old, Matt Cullen, you're old. So it was kind of harder to uh, find that information, but nonetheless, Matt Cullen, of course, did play a couple stints with our hometown Minnesota wild, which is what we're going to transition into next. Nick, you were at the game yesterday, the Minnesota wild, I would say until about the five minute mark of period three, were quote unquote starting to, to slump or have a mace wound ish, if you will, kind of struggling against St. Louis and not, you know, carrying the mail after having that seven game win streak. Um, they weren't playing terrible. I didn't think, but just really kind of started to, you know, start this downward slide that you don't want to want to turn into a, an avalanche, if you will. Um, what did you see from this Minnesota wild club through maybe the first two periods contrasted with period number three? Uh, you know, first of all, St. Louis was a squad where, you know, just the way that they played the game lately, especially under head coach Craig Ruby. Um, they're a team, if they had the lead, good freaking luck trying to get it back from them. They're just so good 
defensively, especially when you got guys like Ryan Riley, you got guys like Jacob Schwartz, you got guys uh, like Tyler Bozak, um, you guys got like David Perron. I mean, these guys all have skill, they all have speed, and they all have grit. Um, it was a <laughs> it was a nightmare in our, in our defensive zone there for the first two periods. Uh, I, I would argue that Carson Susi and Ian Cole had a pretty not the greatest nights. Uh, Jonas Rodin and uh, Matt Dove actually had a pretty good game. So they were both plus three last night. Um, but when St. excuse me when St. Louis does um, get their four check established, we had problems. Um, our breakouts uh, unfortunately were not as clean the first uh, forty minutes of the game. And then when we started to press, when Dean Evison really decided in the third, hey, we need to get back in this game, they started to generate some more. They finally started, instead of trying to just do a lot of things on the rush, they finally started to cycle the puck from low to high. They started to move the puck D to D and really just try to be – they're so good, St. Louis, I should say, about getting in the shot lanes. They're so good about taking away um, you know, th- those um, spots to the net. Um, but what Minnesota did well to counter that was to try to use that DDD pass. They, they, and with the mobile defensemen that they have, you know, again, in the National Hockey League, you talk about the speed of the game. Sometimes that lane opens up and you have to predict it. One, and two, you got to hit it. And sometimes it's not the best shot that's got to go through. And number two, you got to get traffic in front of Jordan Benningen. The first 40 minutes, a lot of shots on the outside. Again, credit to St. Louis for pushing us to the outside. But there was nobody in the interior trying to look for a loose rebounds. There was no, like, really push to get into the crease in the kitchen of Jordan Bennington. And finally, when we broke through, like I said, two goals in the last uh, four minutes of the third, uh, much, much better in terms of getting traffic in front, uh, picking up loose rebounds and just taking away his vision. And Minnesota finally able to exercise the St. Louis Demons here for the first time in three games. And it was quite the thrilling overtime winner. Uh, and what a play by Matt Zuccarello, just that give and go with Kevin Fiala. I don't know which goal in the league would ever we'll, stop that shot. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Let's back it up a little bit first. Um, I know you're excited about that one, and I am too, because that was that was sexy. You're totally right. Um, but I like you mentioned, a uh, beautiful redirect by Nico Sturm to kind of get them back into that hockey game, and then Jonas Brodina seeing eye shot through traffic. But here's one point that I would like to point out from my playing days, if you will. So, so my senior year of high school, I know, big deal, high school, North Dakota, right? But the one thing I want to point out is that, like, my senior year, we played whatever it was, 24 games. I had eight goals on the power play, and we ran a 1-3-1, and I was at the top of, top of the key, right, last man back. And they were probably the eight easiest goals I've ever scored in my entire life. Why? Because they weren't big cannons from the point. They weren't, you know, these twisted wristers or anything like that. What's so crazy, and, and I go back to Jonas Brodin's goal to tie the hockey game, you look at all the traffic in front, all you've got to do is get bodies in front, and then a good lesson for young defensemen is it does, again, it doesn't have to be this big cannon booming shot, you know, that has to, you know, torch the twine through traffic. You just saw him release the puck through a lane, had eyes, went off the post and in. So I think if you're a young hockey player that's watching or listening, one of the things to remember if you're on the point uh, or quarterbacking a power player, you're kind of up top and you're trying to give a little bit of a shooting look on that on that opportunity. One, as you mentioned, that puck has to get through a shot lane. If you, if you have somebody in front of you, you know, if you're going to shoot it, make sure it gets through or don't shoot the puck. Um, but secondly, if you've got bodies in traffic in front, you just kind of have to shoot about mid-height and just pick a side of the net. It doesn't have to be a corner. doesn't have to be top cheddar. Just put it mid-height, a little over pad height, if you will, and just pick a side of the net similar to what Jonas Brodin does. And you would be surprised, as I was in my senior year of high school hockey, how you can just watch a puck just, like, slowly just float through this 
ever evolving mass of bodies and it just floats right into the net. And then the goaltender is like, I didn't see a darn thing. What just happened? And again, you see it so much in the NHL where you're trying to fight through screens and make those plays. I think that's one thing that we want to point out there is when you talked about players finally getting to the front of the net and finally threatening the crease, even if you don't actually touch the puck the entire shift and you're just standing in front of the net, you're actually doing your job in ways that maybe you don't recognize unless you're standing up at the top of the point, seeing that play develop. So I, again, I think, as you mentioned, the Minnesota Wild, almost a little bit too little, too late. Their first 40 minutes were really, really tough. Um, and before we get to that overtime goal, Nick, is there something, maybe if, as we look back on this three-game stint with St. Louis, that are there some trends that start to be concerning for you as far as the Minnesota Wilds play? Do you think that they, I don't want to say they stole one, but maybe snuck out with one yesterday and really didn't play well otherwise? Or do you feel like maybe they weren't getting the balances and finally broke through at the end of yesterday's game? Well, let's, let's look at this way. They were three one-goal games. Um, you know, at the end of it, the first game, you had the lead, you lost it. Um, second lead, you came back, you couldn't finish the job. Third game, you were down came back and you finally finished the job. These are two, you know, the, the matchup between the Blues and the Wild, just the way they play, you know, not ideal, I think, for the Minnesota Wild. Now, mind you, St. Louis, when they're playing at the top of their game, is a very tough out. I, I know that they're 15 points behind the standings, but they're not playing like a team that is that far out as far as from the top three. So, uh, you know, if it's Vegas or Colorado, even Minnesota, if you look at the standings, they're much closer now than they were just a couple of days ago. Um, but whoever St. Louis does get in that first round, they're not going to be an easy out. Uh, and again, St. Louis without, was without Vladimir Tarasenko. Mike Hoffman was very noticeable in the hockey game. He didn't register a point. But again, his presence on that Blues roster is, oh, he's noticeable. And then David Perron, that third goal where he literally beat a check and was able to get a rebound and tuck it past Kaplan him. What a season David Perron is having for St. Louis. So they've got some good talent up and down that lineup. And again, when Jordan Bennington is playing good hockey, he's still a very good goaltender. Again, his caveat is with a lot of goaltenders out there, if you get traffic in front of them, he does struggle with that. And that's what ended it. Ultimately led the wild to come back and tie it. And then the, again, I want to touch on that game winner. Just what a play, just what a play. And uh, Kevin Fiala started that in the neutral zone with one heck of a move in between his legs. Yeah. Average. No, <laughs> it, you know, the, the one thing I like about that play and we got about six and a half, seven minutes. And I do want to touch on Victor Rask as well here before we get to our extra ice session. But the one thing that I, I liked about that play is one confident zone entry by Fiala. I love players that carry the pocket. I think he's a great catalyst as far as driving possession. Um, I'm, I'm sure some stats guy will text me and tell me I'm totally wrong and his possession driving skills are horrible. But anyway, so <laughs> I like how he entered the zone, you know, and he made a nice pass. He got the puck back and didn't hesitate. He didn't hesitate to shoot a puck. And I think that you could see Bennington's reaction where it was like, he was kind of in between on the movement and it just, you know, it was a nice shot. It was a nice play, but again, you just catch that goaltender in a split second, which in the national hockey league, a split second, a lot of things can happen in that moment. You just catch a goaltender in between just a little bit. And again, just picking a side of the net, that puck was not, you know, bar down labeled for the top corner water bottle flying off. It was actually a puck that was fairly in the middle to outer third of the net, if you will, but it was on net. It was quick. It was through traffic and it was just a bang, bang play. So like you mentioned, just a nice zone entry. And again, a good lesson for young hockey players, shoot that darn puck. Cause apparently it goes pretty fast at the national hockey league level. Speaking of a guy that has kind of been shooting the puck, kind of not, I don't know. Um, there's been a disgruntled feeling about uh, number 49 for the green and wheat. So that's Victor Rask, who was relegated 
or maybe put back in his place, according to some people on the third line last night with Jordan Greenway and Nick Bukestad. He was up on that first unit for the past couple of games before kind of providing that spark in the, in the third spot here. Uh, a lot of people don't like the underlying statistics of Victor Rask. I know he costs a lot more than maybe he's probably worth. Um, Nick, I want to open up this discussion very quickly. Uh, you and I talked about this before the show. I actually don't mind Victor Rask. I don't know if I'm going to piss a lot of people off saying that. Um, but what are your thoughts on uh, the Swedish centerman? So, you know, there's a couple of different ways you could look at his optics, right? You can look at it as, yeah, he's a $4 million a year center. Does he play like a $4 million a year center? Probably not. Here's the thing, though. This wasn't a contract that was signed by Minnesota. It was picked up by Minnesota, yes. And he's a guy that spent, if I recall correctly, all but a few games last season in the press box. Um, <clears throat> now, for those hockey aficionados, right, and that can't be me or you, but apparently we just hear talking, you know, to stuff. Um, does Victor Rask, is he a bona fide number one, number two, you mean, arguably even number three center? No. But here's the thing. Minnesota Wild's center depth situation is not as great either, right? Just in terms of the team. Here's the thing about Victor Rask, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to steal your topic, uh, Noah, if I can, but um, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a utilitarian player, which means, yeah, he, he's not a guy that's going to sit up there like an Austin Matthews and you can't take him off of first center. And he's a guy that should be playing better, right? We, we, know, we, know, we know what we're getting with Victor Rask in the 49. The thing is, he's got 20 points. The thing is, he can play up and down the lineup. And at the end of it, you know, for Bill Guerin and this hockey club, and especially not only this season, but the next couple of years, uh, the cap situation is uh, not ideal for any team. It's not going up, which means, you know, if you're trying to improve a position, you're going to have to switch up money for money or you're going to have to terminate a contract. I mean, it's not easy no matter where you look at it, right? But what he's done this year with the players that he's been surrounded by, I think he's been okay. I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. we all want every player out there, I think, to play like Connor McDavid. The problem is the NHL doesn't work that way, right? So I think Bill Guerin, you know, he's given him a chance. Um, you know, I, I think the expectation from Bill Guerin is there. You know, he continues to get in the lineup. And for Gene Epperson, I think you have to give him a lot of credit, too, for putting him in positions up and down the lineup where at least he is contributing. He had an assist last night. So, yeah, he's not the, you know, the best centerman out there. I think that's well documented. But on a team that's has got a secure playoff spot and a team that's in the top three and in the mix with Russell's with Colorado and Vegas, he is a part of that roster. And honestly, you got to give him some props for that. My question is this. Um, if Victor Rast, put, put his money aside, if Victor Rast makes $1.5 million a year, do we have a problem at that point? You know, he's, he has, he has 20 points and I, and I want to put that out there because, okay. So we were talking about how much has he played? He's played in 48 games this year, eight goals, 12 assists, 20 points, right? In his rookie campaign in 80 games played 33 points, 48, the next year, 45, the next year in 80 and 82 games, respectively, 71 games had 31 points. So I would say his rookie year and his last year in Carolina right there at 33 and 31 points. If we played a full 82 game season, he might be on pace for somewhere around there, which you're kind of getting as advertised, if you will, then 26 games with Carolina, six points, 23 with Minnesota, three points last year, actually played in 43 games last year. Did you know that kind of interesting 13 points? Um, again, he's been kind of put in that top six role. So you mentioned to me before the show, and it was a very good point. Um, 
is that maybe he's somewhat of a beneficiary of the people around him, which you're not wrong. You're not wrong. My question is, is that a problem? Is Jay, is is Jake Gensel a beneficiary of Sidney Crosby when he came into the league? Again, it's kind of like the the word beneficiary. And, and again, I, I know what your point your point is there is you're saying that maybe his point production or what he's what he has on paper is maybe overvalued because of the fact that he's being set up or contributed by guys around him. But again, that's what any good player in the National Hockey League does. They fuel off of whoever's with them. So I agree with your point on that, but I think it's also important to clarify that. I mean, it's better than him not scoring, if, if you will. The other thing is this. So Victor Rass, like you mentioned, he's listed on the Minnesota Wild Line combinations from dailyfaceoff.com as the number 128th uh, centerman in the NHL. To put that in perspective, Ryan Hartman is number 96, according to their charts here. I don't know how much stock you put into that, but um, um, the reason I mention that is because when you're putting together line combinations, as people are saying, well, how the heck can this guy – you know, how is he on this line right here, right? Line combinations are all about pairings. They're all about finding two guys that click together, that work together. For Kirill Kaprizov, it's Matt Zuccarello. They're a pair. They're a package deal, right? I would say, um, oh, I don't know. Eric Sinek and Greenway are yep. the other two. Yep, or even even Jordan Green and Marcus Foligno in some senses too. It's kind of a 1A, 1B type thing. And that's where it's like when you look at Victor Rask and you look at the center depth or quote-unquote lack of in this group and you say, where can I put this guy that he's not going to give me a world of offense? He's not going to be a horrible life defensive liability. What pairing can I put with him that one might jumpstart his game Two might be appropriate minutes for a player of his caliber because I think he plays better in a top nine or a top six role as much as we hate to admit it. And three, is he going to be put with a pairing that at worst, he's just kind of there and does his job and lets the other two go to work. And that's where I think you saw him, you know, with Kirill Kaprizov, Matt Zuccarello, guys like that, because they're producing, they're setting him up, they're making plays. And at worst, he's a player that is still an NHL caliber player. Don't get us wrong with that. And can it, at minimum, be the high guy that'll fill that role and maybe pot a couple points on the side. So I think when people are frustrated with Victor Rask, I think they look at the price point instead of saying, yeah, maybe is there another center in the AHL that maybe could jump in and do this role okay? Yeah, maybe. Could Nico Sturm or Nick Benino slot up in these slots? Yeah. But I think that if you're Dean Evison, the reason for where Victor Rask has been moved around is you're looking at those pairings, those forward pairings and saying, who can I put him with that one might jumpstart his own game but two, keeps all the rest of our lines intact and helps them buzz. Like, do you want to break up Greenway, Erickson, Eck, Marcus Foligno, for example? They're a great, great line. You know what I mean? So it's like, so I think that's what the mentality is coming from is that you're looking at him in, in this spot and saying, where is he not a defensive liability? And how does this affect the chemistry of my other three lines? And I honestly, like you mentioned, I don't mind Victor Rask's game. I'm not enamored with him, but I'm not as negative about him as I think a lot of Wild fans are. And, and to finish up the point, because I know that we're uh, we're getting close to the time here, but yep. you know w- when you get to playoffs, especially um, you know yesterday's game, Nick Deerstack comes in, Marcus Johansson comes out. Uh, when you've got guys that can slot in and out of the lineup, and even more so, go up and down the lines. Uh, again, playoffs it's all about matchups, right? You're you're seeing the same team at least for four games, maybe as far, as much as seven, right? And so sometimes you know those matchups, you you can kind of you know tweak your lines and you know like you said as long as you keep those those pairings together you can move a guy like Victor Rask up and down and try to 
get either an offensive um, you know, upside or a defensive upside in some of those line combinations of line matchups that you want as a head coach. So it almost gives you an advantage almost with come playoff time versus maybe, say, a Toronto Maple Leaf squad where are you really going to take uh, Austin Matthews off the top line? Are you really going to move John Tavares? Absolutely not. You're not going to move any of those guys in the top six. But what happens if Toronto goes down 0-2 because those top two are getting shut down by their opposition, right? So it is one of those question marks, you know, when I think personally for me, Dean Everson deserves uh, at least some votes for the Jack Adams Award this year, honestly, for what he's done with this squad. I really do actually think that. Um, but, you know, let's look at the opposite, right? If you cannot move anybody in the top six, such as a, like a Toronto does, what happens when you go on two games O and now you're trying to figure out how do you spark offense or is it, you know, how do I get a better matchup defensively? So and that, actually, I think it's going to prove much more favorable in the postseason here than people get credit. And you talk about depth scoring. It's always important. Uh, Nick Benino, great example. Uh, of course, the Pittsburgh Penguins a couple of years ago, one of the greatest goal calls I've ever heard in playoff history. Anyway, that will do it for the regular portion of the show. Stick around for the Huskies warming house extra ice session, where we're going to talk about the situation with Vancouver Canucks forward, Jake Furtanen and the allegations surrounding him. Welcome into the Huskies warming house extra ice session. Nick, uh, we've got a bit of a, a sad one, uh, I guess, if you will, if it's true. Um, we have allegations, unfortunately, Vancouver Canucks uh, forward uh, and once highly touted prospect Jake Vertanen, uh, Canadian, unfortunately involved in some sexual misconduct allegations uh, surrounding him. He's been put on leave by the team until they complete their own external investigation. Um. I don't know. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, the various ones we've seen throughout history. I think Patrick Kane is maybe the most notable recent example of an allegation like this surrounding an NHL player. Um, what was your first reaction when the news broke? Um, and again, hoping that it's not true. Uh, you know, obviously when any player, you know, whether it's the NHL, any professional athlete, anybody with you know, a high status is accused of sexual misconduct. It is, it is disheartening, I think, to hear, right? But I think it's also important you know, to understand that I think, you know, you know, what's the process like? And I think it's very easy when when Vancouver takes for 10 and out of the line, right? And they make it very clear, we're doing this because we want to investigate this and we're trying to figure this out, right? Um, they're taking things as seriously as they can, right? Now, the easy conclusion for a lot of folks out there, especially on social media, is when someone gets pulled out of a lineup, there's sort of like, okay, there's a guilty kind of conscious to that. <clears throat> and I think what, what's happened in social media is, you know, in, in due process and law, right? It's you're innocent until proved guilty, right? And there's a trend out there, especially with these types. And I get these are very sensitive and these are horrendous topics, right? So we're not trying to devalue that, but it's become an opposite trend where you're guilty until proven innocence. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to understand that is, yeah, these are allegations. Allegations means, okay, someone obviously has brought to the um, organization's attention that something may have happened, right? And the team is doing their due diligence to try to figure out if these allegations are indeed true, exactly what happened, so that way they can take the appropriate action if indeed you know uh, the information turns out to be correct and collaborated. Um, so I think it's important for people out there to know that, you know, uh, Jake Bertan deserves due process. I, I think all, any one of us, if we're being alleged of anything in our lifetime, whether it's sexual misconduct, whether it's whatever it is in the world, 
that there has to be time to let things play out. Um, I, I think you said it beautifully. We hope, again, the keyword is hope that these allegations are not true. Um, you know, we will continue to follow the story, obviously, to see, you know, what the developments are. But I think it's important to know that, again, he's not been formally charged by any legal body of any crime. Does that not mean that he might in the future? Of course, that, that is a possibility, but right now he is not, right? So um, at the end of it, it's a sad situation for all involved. And, you know, you just hope that, you know, uh, things turn out for the best. I'm not sure if that's the, the right way to put it. But um, at the end of it, you know, Vancouver, they're missing a, a, a number six overall pick, which I think Noah has, has not really turned out to be a top 10 offensive pick. Yeah, I think he's been more of a bottom six, kind of like a role player as far as watching him play the game. But he's an important part to a Vancouver Canucks lineup that, unfortunately, this year has had quite the downturn from a very successful run last year. It's been probably the biggest, you know, downswings in NHL uh, this year, honestly. Um, but so we'll, we'll continue to, to follow the story. And we, we just hope that, you know, whatever has been alleged to Jake Burchanan turns out to be not true. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I think that the one linkage that we had talked about pre-show that maybe it kind of feels like from this past year is the Bill Guerin situation and the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins um, and their kind of deal and the, the graphic details that came out of that story. And again, Again, you can kind of see the uproar uh, of where that comes from. And then again, we're waiting for due process. We're waiting for that piece to move forward here. Um, like you mentioned, I, we hope that it's not true. And again, when we brought up Patrick Kane, you see what happens when things like that aren't true. It took a couple of years for Patrick Kane to kind of get out of that realm of something that unfortunately was, you know, he, he didn't really have a part of. Um, so you hope that it's not that case because you never like to see people in their, um, you know, doing their thing and because of their status or their fame, maybe kind of targeted for a story like that, just simply because of kind of where they're at and that sort of thing. Now on the flip side, you hope that it's not true because if Jake Vertanen did do what was alleged, that's horrible. That's awful. It has no place, not only in the game, but anywhere else. The, I, again, like you said, we're going to keep you updated on some of the reports that are going on here. The only thing that I've heard, and it's like a very generic story, I don't know how much truth there is into it. So I want people to, to take that into account when I say this. The only thing that I have heard um, is that apparently him, it, it apparently it happened in 2017, him and this girl met up maybe at like a bar or something like that. And they went back to like a hotel or a private residence of some sort. And apparently that, um, uh, she kind of asked Jake to not go any further and Jake kind of continued to, to spurn his event or go with his advances, if you will. Um, and that's all I've heard. That's the only rumblings I've heard that's any inkling of maybe what happened on this story. But again, I'm glad that you pointed out the piece about um, social media, just because I think that uh, again, uh, just a very, very quick point here is that I think for us as guys, especially sometimes it's hard sometimes for us to just say, hey, we're just waiting for due process because there's a lot of people that fly in from left field that say, oh, well, look at you. You guys are men and you're defending a man that that is in this sport that you cover. I think it's important for us and our thing specifically to say, no, we're not defending Jake. We don't, we don't know what happened. The only person who knows what happened is this girl and Jake Furtanen. Those are the only two that know what happened right now. We're just trying to say that due process has to be sorted out. And like you mentioned, the Vancouver Canucks, Jake Furtanen is not a big impact player in the lineup, but he is an NHL caliber forward. And I think the Canucks, um, I guess, 
Unfortunately, there's no good time for this to happen, but the Canucks are the playoffs, so they won't miss him that much, I don't think. But again, you hope that those sorts of things get sorted out, similar to the Bill Guerin situation, similar to the Patrick Kane situation. You want all these things. At the end of the day, as you mentioned, we just want the truth. If Jake Vertanen did something, unfortunately, Jake Vertanen did something, and he needs to you know, deserve or carry the punishment that comes along with that, and vice versa, if Jake Vertanen didn't do something, you hope that one that is found out accordingly. And two, you hope that Jake can move on and maybe we have a reform of the process for people who, you know, unfortunately have something like that, that maybe isn't true. But again, I think the biggest piece that you want to mention here is that we're not saying that it's true or not. And we're not trying to devalue the situation that's going on um, with the, with the allegations. Correct. Well, and let's, let's bring in like a non-hockey really one, right? It's how the Tyree Hill, uh, you know, going to football, right? And mm-hmm. His allegations were proven true. They had video footage, you know, and, you know, there was some very high, you know, consequences for his actions. If that's, if that's indeed what ends up happening with Jake Bertanen's case, absolutely. We support any and all consequences that could come from that. I think it's important to understand, again, that, and, and I think this is the thing that is so touchy in today's world right no is that you know when when people here come out of the lineup but i mentioned this before there's there's almost a, an itch to say okay well they wouldn't be pulling them out for no reason so therefore there has to be something true to that that's not necessarily the case right but what it does signal especially now with you know how everybody is under essentially a microscope with these types of situations and rightfully so let's 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 be fair um, Vancouver is trying to handle the situation and say, hey, you're not going to be allowed to play until we figure out what actually happened here. Uh, that's essentially what mm-hmm. they're saying. Um, it and, doesn't and, mean... And, and good on them, honestly. Yes. Because you know, right. we, we've seen the same thing. We've seen a couple of them in Major League Baseball uh, as of late as well. And I think it's good on the organizations, especially following, let's be honest, following the Me Too movement. There have been a lot of great things that have come out of that. And a lot of people that do deserve to be in jail or punishment or behind bars because of some crazy things that they did. But again, like you mentioned, great on the organization for doing what they had to do. Right. And, I, and again, and I think one thing that gets missed in all of this is, yeah, there is the, the movement, right? And that's great. And they do a lot of good things. However, each individual situation is unique, which means you, you can't immediately jump to the conclusion when you hear sexual misconduct that something or this specific happened. Again, as you very eloquently described, the only two people that know exactly what happened on whatever has been alleged is Jake Bertanen and the supposed victim, right? So until we are communicated with that side of the story from both, the facts and the truth of the matter. Um, we're going to have to sit here and just follow to see what happens. But I get good on Vancouver for taking the right steps to try to figure this out. They came, and it sounds like they acted pretty quickly once they learned of the allegations, which I think is also very telling. Um, and just to kind of go back to you Noah, know, to the, the Pittsburgh Penguins and the uh, uh, the Bill Guerin situation too. I, I think what was alarming with him was the specific. Um, verbiage that supposedly Bill and Darren used, which is there was information brought to him. And then the alleged response was, um, you know, don't talk about that. Shut up. You know, keep your mouth quiet kind of thing, which again is, is horrendous, you know, it, it, but it sounds like that has, at least from what our information is, that hasn't really been corroborated, uh, at least at any point that we have heard. Um, I haven't done any real 
deep digging into that story since. But but um, I but I think that's an important piece as well as that. Um, apologies if, if I'm forgetting the name as well. It was Akeem Alou. Same thing uh, with with so, the Calgary yeah. Flames as well. I think that if there's anything to take away from this, regardless of the outcome for Jake um, and, and this girl and, and what happened, if there's any outcome that I think is positive is that we're starting to see a trend, um, you know, and a pretty accurate trend for the most part for a lot of these allegations that these clubs and especially these male dominated testosterone fueled, you know, leagues who have kind of been keep things behind closed doors. That's private. We don't talk about that. We're going to sweep it under the rug type things that has gone on for so long. You're starting to see some of these things come to light and these organizations act accordingly. I think that's the biggest piece that you want to take away is that, yeah, I, Jake's thing is going to be what it's going to be, but kudos on the organization for using that due process and doing things accordingly and just making a statement saying, you know what, we're aware of what's going on. We acted quickly. We're going to let the situation play out and just leaving it at that. Um, I, I think that's about as respectable as you can get because we unfortunately have been missing those types of reactions by clubs and those types of equal worker rights and making people feel safe in their environment and in their workplace for a long time. And I think now we're finally starting to see that transition. So if anything, I would say that's, that's a great positive that's coming out of all of this. It is. And, you know, it, it's, it's hard to, at least for, for me being, a, you know, a male um, mm -hmm. to think that, you know, why does, why do we have to sit here and talk about why this has to be the new norm? You know, I guess, you know, I've never been in a situation where I, I felt or, you know, could have happened to this kind of thing. So it's nice to see at least if it was this culture of sweeping under the rug, you know, talk about it, this person's, you know, he's uh, the big home run hitter or whatever you want to call it. You know, we're not going to tear this person down. That's not the case anymore. So the, we are seeing progress, uh, but also what that progress doesn't mean that it's a linear with every situation, which is, you know, we hear about it and we do punishment. And as we hear about it, we investigate it we figure out exactly what happened yeah. before we go further than that. And it's individual, like you mentioned. And I think that um, as we kind of tie all this up here and you talked about, you know, we're talking about the social media presence as well. And uh, of course you have people that are frustrated thinking that the men are defending this man who allegedly did this thing to a girl, right? Um, we're all right in this scenario, to be honest with you. I think, as you mentioned, from coming from our perspective as a man, I think the worst thing that you want to have happen is something similar to like the Duke lacrosse team in 2006, where you have things that ruin people's lives that end up, you know, not being true. But on the flip side, um, if you're a female in this situation, you hope that, um, you know, if it did happen, she is telling the truth. And that that truth comes out and that justice is served at that point because those things can't happen in our world. So we're all, I, I think if we take a step back, we're all right, right? We want equality for men, women, dogs, cats, whoever it may be. And I think that this is a great time for us to kind of keep our emotions in check and our analysis and just say, you know what, we're going to let the situation play out. Um, we hope that nothing happened and hopefully everything, you know, is okay and everybody moves on from this. But if things did happen, you hope that the due process finds that justice accordingly and we can move on from there. So I think that's maybe the, the last piece there is just you hope that everybody, I think we all want the same thing. That's what I'm trying to say. We all want 
the truth to come out. Unfortunately, um, I think we just have to keep our emotions in check in a way of uh, kind of voicing those opinions so that everybody has a chance to kind of come together and understand this as a, as humans. Absolutely. And again, you know, just to, to wrap it up, I think Ellen, that is, you know, again, I'll, I'll say this again, every situation is unique, you know, and, you know, it, it's, it's sad that, you know, you know, if this indeed did happen, you know, you hope that again, justice is served and served accordingly and that the, the victim can get the necessary um, resources that uh, she needs to be able to move past this. Um, you know, cause there's two parts of the policy, right? There's the consequence and there's the, you know, there's the recovery, right? I think that's the other part of it is if, you know, whatever indeed did happen is proven to be true, you know, if there's the consequences for the offender, then this is the recovery for the victim. Both of those have to be taken into account here as well. I definitely agree that that's going to do it for the extra ice session. A couple of housekeeping things coming up here, Nick. The biggest one is uh, we will have a healthy scratch interview segment on Tuesday. Uh, we've got a fan special coming up and that's all we're going to say about that one. We're pretty excited about that and getting ready to record for that one on Monday. Be out Tuesday morning. Look forward to it. That will be the healthy scratch interview for episode number 59. Other than that, Nick, I don't know that we have anything else going on. Do you have anything else to add? Nothing crazy. Uh, the National Hockey League, I believe, does wrap up the regular season this upcoming week. So uh, some playoff spots uh, should be getting locked in this week. They, I know a, a bunch happened this week. Uh, so trying to uh, figure out the, the rest of the finals uh, spots here and looking forward to the teams fine-tuning themselves, those who have secured a spot to get ready for another exciting season of playoff hockey, which, again, is the most is the best time of the year. So. Yeah, it should be a fun race. Unfortunately, like I mentioned, the Vancouver Canucks, not going to be in the playoffs, I don't think. But with that being said, that will do it for episode number 59. Stick around for episode number 60 coming out next Sunday. We'll see you next week in the den. Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.